everyone. Welcome to a brand new All Access. I'm Kai Savas, and I'm here uh, with the amazing and talented Jonathan Beard and Henry Wilkinson, part of uh, 2D Music Partners. Uh, their third member is uh, Ed Tribeck, but he could not be with us today, but we're so thankful for Jonathan and Henry to join us. Um, so, hey guys, nice to see you. Hey, Kaya. Good to Thank see you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. So let's just start uh, for anybody who doesn't know you guys, uh, to just get a little intro. I would love to know, uh, kind of take me back to your origin story. Let's go back to kind of that point in your life. I always love to know kind of the point in people's lives when they got, they discovered music. Was it something that that you just happened upon? Was it gradual? Did you run away from it? Did it just spark an interest? Some, there was a, a, maybe an aha moment. Maybe there wasn't. I'm just curious in your lives, uh, when did that start? When did music start becoming kind of part of you? So Jonathan, maybe you want to kick us off? <laughs> sure. So I started playing cello when I was six. And that was the beginning of my formal musical life. Somewhere in middle school, I discovered film music. And uh, at a similar point, although I didn't really know what orchestration was quite yet, sort of consciously, I was paying attention to that uh, in parallel as well. As I was discovering my favorite film composers, I was learning names of orchestrators who they worked with. Uh, so the the sort of decision to to pivot in that direction came later in life. I don't think too many people are consciously thinking about that in middle school, um, <laughs> but that's where the awareness started, and then that just you know grew through uh, through college and into professional career. I've maintained a dual uh, composing and orchestration portfolio. My composing is more in the concert music space, and we get to orchestrate on amazing uh, media projects. So that that uh, itch is very much scratched in the in the orchestration world. So that's kind of my my background. Absolutely. So Henry, about how about yourself? Sure. So um, yeah, similarly, I started playing piano at a fairly young age. I think when I was five years old, I, I told my parents I wanted to start piano lessons. So I started you know <laughs> playing piano and then uh, and then uh, I knew kind of in elementary school already that I wanted to be a musician. So it was a very, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of people struggle after high school and stuff trying to find careers it was never a struggle for me in sense of knowing which direction uh I was you know inclined to go in so in high school you know I started playing uh getting more into jazz jazz piano and stuff like that and and then in college um you know I got to you know uh start experiencing more uh composing arranging stuff like that um and then after I finished my college I'm from Finland after I finished my um you know, I got my master's degree there. Um, I was kind of just weighing my options and and uh, I wasn't sure what to do. Had had gotten a few opportunities at that point to uh, write music um, for some, you know, commercial, small TV show stuff. And, um, and so I was like, oh, maybe I should, you know, see what comes out of it, pursue that. And uh, so I noticed there was a program at USC um, uh, related to film scoring a one-year program and uh, applied, got in, got a grant. So I was able to afford it as well. And oh, nice. uh, and then, yeah, so, so I came here in 07, um, straight from Finland um, to LA and uh, uh, spent a year at USC um, doing a post-grad certificate. And uh, yeah, during that time, you know, it, I, I really realized that, um, you know, film music um, is really what I want to be doing if I can possibly, you know, make it, um, a career out here and uh so then you know i was kind of like after school um i i was just uh <laughs> kind of fresh off the boat i i, <laughs> I knew nobody you know and and uh 
but um, you know, um, there are a few people who I'd met during the uh, my school year who were kind enough to give me give me some uh, some of my first gigs here as an orchestrator, arranger, composer, and then uh, I mean, ultimately, what uh, brought us to this day um, is um, I guess when we met each other, which was in '09, I believe, um, and so um, in '09, uh, Bear McCreary actually approached all of us and and uh, brought us together um, to orchestrate for his upcoming um, TV shows and uh, movies and video games and all that stuff. And so we really started working together in 09 and, you know, realized pretty soon from that point on how well we work together with each other. With each other. And so then, you know, little by little that kind of formalized into our um, partnership that we have um, these days. Wow. Yeah, we we didn't formalize the the partnership as an entity really until 2015. But by then we had really been working constantly together for yeah. six years. So it was it was pretty seamless. So was Bear also, kind of the, should... the connecting tissue to, that brought you guys together? Did you guys know each other at all before working with Bear? We didn't. Oh wow, we didn't. So so yeah, he hired all of us within a few weeks of each other in 2009, and and that's that's how we originally met. Also, Ed and Henry are um, USC alums. I am a proud Bruin, so <laughs> while we while we hate each other on that one level, also a testament to unity and uh, coming together. Yes, there we for go. The spirit of movies. So, how did, did was there kind of an instant chemistry that you guys knew that you guys were able to work together and was like this is this works and what was it scary to kind of start like a, a company together and say like okay this we're going to be a team and and move forward? It was. I mean, it was pretty organic. Um, in that what, what mainly ended up happening was just sort of the, the situation on the ground kind of suggesting a really sort of smart and sound path forward. Mm -hmm. By that point in 2015, we'd been working like week in and week out, uh, you know, on particularly on a lot of television, but, but feature films and, and the like as well. And when we weren't working together with a client like Bear, we were finding that for our own clients, we were pulling in each other anyway. Mm, all to, the time, yeah. Yeah, to, to basically help um, when it got to crunch time. And the sort of conceptual change that we made, which we were already kind of, I think, Henry, you'd agree, like we were already essentially in practice already doing this, but we made a conscious right. decision at some point, which is if, if we, you know, see that the post-production schedules are getting shorter and shorter and shorter in like everything yeah. <laughs> in film, music, even games. Um, in what, what if we're pulling each other in on every project all the time from day one, instead of sort of ad hoc or at the end? Yeah. And what are the benefits of that? And uh, the, the benefits were, were fairly obvious. You know, it, uh, we already worked together really smoothly and fluidly but also it allowed us to have a lot of the conversations that might need to have, might need to happen in, in like crunch time under immense stress if you've been trying to do it all yourself up to a certain point. It allowed us to have all of those musical conversations earlier in the process and really unify the score from, from day one. Right, and I think that's an important um, thing. Like, you know, uh, rather than bringing in people at the last minute or bringing people in on a, you know, project specific basis, um, just having like the unified approaches on how to approach uh, any given project. It's always, 
the same. We kind of we don't have to have that conversation every time right. we start a new project. It's already established. Um, way of working and uh, and I mean that helps. I mean another another thing like Jonathan was saying, um, the having a partnership provides so many benefits um, over uh, you know not having one. Um, we have families, um, so it offers flexibility in that sense yeah, where we can good still for balance of life. Yeah, good for balance of life. We can still take care of our clients. In fact, I feel like we can take care of our clients often better than we could individually speaking because there's always. You know, somebody to take care of the client. Support team, yeah. Support team, uh, and and so so composers, you know, hopefully feel more comfortable, um, not not you know relying only on one person, but there's actually a team behind them supporting yeah. them, and yeah. uh, and so uh, yeah, we we feel like the quality of work uh, improves uh, as well. I th I think all of us are as similar as our backgrounds are in the sense that we started, you know, playing music early and got into music early. We're also all come from different backgrounds and we kind of have our own strengths. And I feel like the, you know, the three, three of us is bigger as a whole than in three individual people. Yeah. Kind of like absolutely. a fellowship or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah something right, like, right. you know, just kind of <laughs> brotherhood or fellowship uh, for some unified journey. So yeah. I was just going to add one thing based on, on what Henry was just saying, which is also by, but by having that fluidity of workflow established and, and kind of the structure in place, we do every project by project, we do have lots of conversations at the beginning, but we get to have them be almost completely musical yeah. and like approaching sort of, okay, you know, these themes, these motifs that we're starting to see in these early cues from the composer, how do we want to treat them? Um, you know, we can run that by the composer, we can uh, basically be establishing an approach to important musical material very early on in the project that can then stay very mm. sort of unified throughout the whole thing instead of getting a little bit scrambled uh, near the end when things get tight. Absolutely. Well, speaking of taking on an insurmountable challenge, uh, <laughs> let's move. I mean, we, we could spend, you know, hours talking about each individual <laughs> people. We're here to talk about Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power for, and wow, what an amazing series. Uh, congratulations on season one. I mean, it's out there in the world now. And you, I mean, fantastic. I mean, the, the scale of this thing is, can't even you know, describe it. I mean, for a television series, it's just completely, you know, unprecedented. So talk to me, I mean, we, you look at like what Peter Jackson and Howard Shore did, you know, back with the films, and this is kind of like, you know, all of those expanded more. So talk to me those initial steps when you got that maybe call from Bear and he, he, the, what was kind of the starting point of this and where in the production did you jump in as orchestrators to start kind of working on all of this? So this was an interesting project in the sense that um, we received a very, you know, interesting call from Bear, cryptic. just like, hey, cryptic, yes, that's the word, cryptic. that's the word I was looking for, <laughs> yes, cryptic, a very cryptic call from Bear about uh, three months before we actually started, you know, actual work on this uh, show, and and not only was it that, it was like, we literally, be, he was like, I would like to have a conversation with, you know, three of you, but only the three of you, and <laughs> and nobody can hear this conversation, and I need you to sign NDAs before we have this conversation. Yeah. No and assistance, so, no support, no, no just the four of us. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so then, you know, during that uh, Zoom meeting, uh, he, he uh, you know, told us uh, what was coming down the pipeline. And, uh, and then- like, Are we going to get fired or is <laughs> right. there something really special? <laughs> right. Yeah, were you guys nervous? You're like, what the hell is this? Like... <laughs> it was a little like, uh, what? what uh, NDA. Uh, yeah. No, that, that definitely had not happened 
before uh, yeah. over the uh, 12 some years that we've been working with Bear. So that was a, that was a first. Um, so uh, yeah, so then uh, we, we received the call we had, we, you know, and he kind of, he also expressed some of his initial musical ideas at that point that he had um, for the musical language that he was conceiving um, um, for the show. Um, and, and, you know, so we were kind of floating ideas back and forth uh, with him a little bit. And, uh, and, um, and so that was really the beginning of it all. And then a few months later, we kind of got into the you know, meet and grind of it all in terms of, uh, you know, orchestration. Yeah, it was definitely under the largest veil of secrecy yeah. of, of anything, like Henry was saying. We, you know, we, we've worked, we've been lucky enough to work on some pretty big properties in the past, and we've had to sign NDAs before, but, um, you know, there was clearly a, a, a strong concern from the studio on making sure that there were no leaks on this project. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't have cue names, we didn't have a show title, like it was all just blank. Like <laughs> there, there were numbers to keep track of things and that was it. And that, you know, that was from day one when we had that first conversation with Bear. Wow. So talk to me, what is, so I guess, what is the process for you guys? Because you guys were working kind of in <clears throat> obscurity and secrecy. I'm curious about the workflow. Maybe some people don't know when orchestrators come in, how is the relationship with the composer? When are you getting Bear's compositions and how are you, what is your process, I guess, for all three of you uh, to start digging in? How do you split up responsibilities? I'm curious about just kind of the general workflow of the, the whole thing. Right. Um, well, so essentially the, the process primarily goes that if, if, if all is going to plan, orchestrators don't usually need to work on finishing off the, the orchestral elements of the score until all the music is proved. Mm. Uh, that can't always happen, and it didn't happen 100% of the time on this show. There's sometimes that we had to start working a little bit earlier and then make some adjustments uh, on the fly. But the essentially for each episode, first of all, Bear was under a, a really tight writing schedule. I can't imagine show. with that amount of music with all um, the other stuff he's going going mm -hmm. on too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we joked it's like each each episode is you know between sixty three to seventy five minutes long. And yeah, with the every, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Every episode has between sixty five and seventy seven minutes right. of music. You know, it's yeah, kind of exactly. like there was yeah. the whole thing yeah. is scored, and then wow. there's usually a little extra. Um, and so, what basically what will happen is, you know, Bear is very detailed in his compositional mockups and and sort of in his mockup sketches and all of that. They're incredibly detailed, but we've also developed a nice shorthand with him over the years, where he's able to articulate to us just through words, essentially, what little things he still wants filled in and so that we can approach that uh, according to his desires and expectations. Nobody knows his music better than him. So he can, you know, he can give us really precise marching orders on kind of what still he hasn't gotten 100% to the finish line in terms yeah. of the, the tiny little finessings. Um, he wrote every minute of music on this show which for an, a, you know this amount of music and in television is is fairly unusual, and it was just a gargantuan lift compositionally for him. So if we are able to add that last you know few percent of sparkle to whatever was yeah. needed, um, we could do that in in tight timelines. So I don't know, Henry, if uh, if I'm forgetting something of how this 
No, I think role, I think but... that's yeah. No, that's that's pretty much it for the orchestration process. I mean, our work still then continues, of course, after that in terms of session production. Um, so this was, I mean, this was a real treat for us um, to be able to have, you know, um, some of the best musicians in the world um, for all these shows. And and uh, that was that was also affected by their. Yeah, you guys produced the recording right. sessions, yeah, right? That true. was, I mean, so you saw this thing through all the way. <laughs> Yeah, so we were there at, to help at out. At least through recording. At least through recording, yeah, through yes, recording. recording. Yes. After recording, it kind of is, you know, we're, we're done. Our, our right, done. But, and it goes, but, uh, becomes part of the, the life of what's being put in the edit and the mixing and all that, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that was incredibly fun. And, you know, it offered some, um, some you know, just, just trying out different artistic choices with the choir and, and just uh, experimentation a little bit um, during the sessions as well which of course you know and and just hearing the music to come come to life played by real instruments live instruments uh by some of the best players in the world i mean that's a, just a tremendous treat for us yeah the sort so, of schedule workload of this is bigger also than any show we've ever seen i mean we were doing four days of orchestral recording for every episode oh, and wow. that's not counting choir <laughs> um and you know, as, as Henry was saying, we, we could do some experimentation. We kind of needed to do some moderate experimentation throughout the, the recording process as well in order to give Jason LaRocca, the mixer, uh, some options of kind of how to approach the mix. Mm. And Bear was always available if there was something we needed to run by him quick, you know, and say, hey, is, you know, is this sounding the way you need? And he could chime in for, for, for a couple of minutes with some quick notes or whatnot. But frankly, four days in, in each of his like writing windows for each of these episodes, four days was far too valuable for him to not be writing. So I mean, yeah. we were definitely honored that he trusted us enough to take on a leadership role in that part of the process and, and get the score recorded. Um, but that allowed him the time he needed to actually write this immense amount of music. Yeah, man, that trust must have come just from, I mean, just, I mean, the years that you guys worked together. I mean, that's something that's forged through going, being in the trenches together over so many other projects. So, yeah. so, oh, um, sure. so yeah, so you guys, it was like all what, six months, I think, for the entire series of orchestrating? Yeah, yeah about it, six months yeah. of active orchestration, yeah. but we were doing some work before that. So we were, we were kind of... Yeah. In at what eight months, Henry? Maybe like, something like that with the, with the recording wow. sessions. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So when uh, I'm just curious how when you when you approach this thing, you know, you, you, when you're essentially bringing the music to life, of course you're going to be compared. I think to the past of you know you have this these amazing this trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy or that Howard Shore's music, of course, has lived you know in everybody's life. So I'm curious, how did you want this to make it feel Tolkien? How did you want it to make sure Bear's voice was represented? And what kind of things did you want this you know this music to feel like when you guys were orchestrating the instrumentation that you were picking and and the, these flourishes that you're adding? What did you want the the I guess the the music to do for the world of of Rings of Power? Well, this is, you know, I think Bear has talked about some of this in his interviews, but like he has mentioned that he's, um, you know, while paying homage to the original trilogy and to Howard Shore, of course, tremendous score for um, both trilogies. Um, and, uh, it, you know, he, he wanted to do something, you know, unique and and kind of do do his own thing yeah. uh, that would still fit in in the world of Tolkien and still feel like it was, you know, part of Middle Earth and, and uh, 
and that. So I, I feel like in in the in the in the musical you know realm of what he did it is fascinating because you you know you hear Howard Shaw's um, theme at the beginning of the show, and then you hear Bear Score, and it 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 feels like the same thing. It's all part yeah. of the same world to me. Um, so so I think he definitely nailed it in terms of approach and feel what you know what uh what middle earth and you know what what the tolkien world needs to feel like um and uh and i mean part of it is like you said uh some of those colors instrumentation choices uh in addition to having you know full uh big orchestra full big choir was a 40 piece choir 40 uh, piece i think yeah. yeah and uh percussion you know we had world instruments um so we had all these um, ethnic world instruments kind of helping, you know, bring different um, cultures and uh, yeah. and people, um, you know, together in, in, in those colors as well. <clears throat> we also had the ch children's choir on on some of right. the episodes as well. So that made the, the choral forces even bigger. And of course, a big part of it is um, we had various um, soloists as well. So we had like solo soprano often uh, representing uh, Galadriel's um, theme yeah. and uh, like that so and there was stuff being sung in you know Tolkien languages right it was not it was so oh yeah what was what was it like working <laughs> in these kind of fantasy languages recording <laughs> a choir with that talk to me about that you know it's kind of amazing because the the sort of world in which bear is working as Henry was saying it's like it's very much kind of in in the same uh lineage and, and line but uh of, of the the movies but also because it's taking place thousands of years earlier, yeah. sort of in the timeline, and Bear's talked about this quite eloquently, there is room for some other uh, sonic approaches that um, can be for sounds of like societies that, you know, won't be there or will be significantly mm -hmm. transformed by the time we're getting to the uh, Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Good age. Yeah. So mm -hmm. there's, yeah, so, so the, there's this, um, sort of vast landscape within which one can still musically travel and still line things up. And I think that one of Bear's uh, real commitments on the choral side was to, even though we're dealing with these languages that a vast majority of viewers are not going to know. Right. Um, the, they are existent languages and there is a relatively robust vocabulary for, for a number of them. And it was important to bear that the words that were being uh, sung as part of the score, they're, they're absolutely part of the score tapestry. It's not like this is just a choral score yeah. uh, being supported by orchestra. It's all, it's all woven together, but the words that the choir is singing uh, are in the original languages and they are meaningful and appropriate poetry for what is going on in the given scenes. So, yeah, so he pulled out a bunch yeah. of stops on that. No, and yeah, and so, so, and it was definitely a team that, you know, built up, you know, brought that together. We had language experts uh, providing um, all those, you know, translations and the correct pronunciations. Yeah, so like, like choir sessions, we actually had a pronunciation guide from all these, you know, Tolkien language experts so that the choir would be able to basically pronounce them as they should be pronounced. And so it was very detailed in of um you know approach but of course uh you know there's, there's a couple of interesting how funny funny bits from stemming from that that i remember one of one was uh you know i remember we were apl applying some lyrics to a uh, cue and you know bear was looking over the score he was like wait a minute uh 
this is like this is not at all what these lyrics this this you know this scene should be totally internal and we're going like extra you know like bombastic <laughs> these lyrics and so I was like, okay i guess we need to reconceive this lyrics uh another another funny bit that i remember was uh at the choir sessions there was definitely times where either the conductor or the or the you know singers would be vocalists would be asking like hey so so you know what, what is this language just you know it sounds familiar it's, you know you know, it's an old language. Just a very old <laughs> language. <laughs> and, right. and you guys were working right. with no right picture, right? Like you didn't have uh, anything from the show to to play right. against or anything. So it was kind of so, all. Yeah. And it, it's, look, it's not crucial as an orchestrator. You don't need to see picture uh, right. most of the time, unless you're getting heavily into arranging, which this, um, this project was not, you know, Bear had already very clearly set the musical um, sort of scope for every scene. You know, we weren't we weren't having to like fill in gaps of uh, sort of um, dramatically what's going on. Right. However, there because we were sort of you know the 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 lyric elements were being orchestrated in, adapted kind of by team. There were a number of people involved, all the way up to the showrunners approving lyrics and stuff. Like Henry's uh, anecdote, you know, that's one of those spots where like the the lack of picture you know kind of contributes a little bit but it's it's more a, a humorous side of like okay and this is why we check <laughs> this is why we have a back and forth um but yeah we were not seeing we were not seeing any of the visuals while we were writing Bear could explain to us you know I mean the, the people on his team who were seeing it it was very minimal yeah. um he had access to video and really not much beyond that in terms of his his assistant team um so he was he could explain to us very clearly what needed to happen dramatically or what was going on but in terms of actually seeing the footage the vast majority of which we were uh, discovering it along with everyone else finally won the show mm -hmm. premiere wow so talk to me about creating i mean we the score feels like it comes from this ancient history the sound of it you know it feels old it feels uh like generations of of stories being passed but also you have you know you're making it in in 2022 for a modern audience a modern show i mean there's a lot of uh especially in, in a genre that is uh captivated audiences with so many different uh shows but with rings of power was there like a, a kind of like a, a, key, a trick or, or a technique to make sure that it had kind of the traditional classical feel but also feel a bit more modern maybe have that modern weight with it well, I think one of the things that, you know, Bear was given the liberty to, which especially in TV shows doesn't happen that often these days, is is the use of woodwinds. So mm -hmm. I think that, you know, um, that brings a sense of, you know, and, and, you know, I feel like Bear at his core is a fantastic uh, woodwind writer as well. Like he's, you know, there's there's been some past TV shows that he's been able to use woodwinds in, in you know, very interesting ways. And, and when it comes to that, you know, he can create all these impressionistic colors and, you know, very Raphaelian uh, uh, colors with the winds if, 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 he, if he has the, you know, <laughs> if he has the platform to. Yeah. Um, and, and so I feel like this offered the platform to ex experiment a little bit with uh, woodwind colors, which feels often fresh these days because there are so little woodwinds in, yeah. in film, film music, especially, and TV, TV especially. And, uh, and so, you know, having, whether it's, you know, kind of soft clarinets in, you know, just kind of background textual stuff, or whether it's, you know, actually having like wood, woodwind chorales um, there, 
that's one of the things I think that you were you were kind of referring to almost like it it brings that eloquence of, of that yeah. you know classical world um, to the to the show in my opinion. I think it's also a testament to the power that the orchestra can actually bring when when sort of um, that the, the space and and mandate is there for that sort of romantic orchestral writing. Right. Uh, you know, this is not a score, even though it's a modern score in 2022. One of the reasons why it feels classic is because it is not a score that is driven by underlying synth pulses and, yes. you know, sort of groove elements that are pushing it along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's um, <clears throat> extremely minimal, if if any, I, for, I forget what um, what Barris talked about, but it's just like there, there's an incredibly, it, it's, an, it's an incredibly symphonic forward score and then the soloist Henry was talking about. And so the the power that comes from the, you know, sort of writing and arranging for an orchestra, uh, the way an orchestra can really work when it's, you know, when it's balanced right, when it's voiced right. I think I think there has done a beautiful uh, job showcasing that in this entire project, this entire season. It is such a powerful, giant epic sound. And that's coming from from the, the, the power of the orchestra and bears writing for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was wondering, maybe we could, uh, you could uh, maybe take, we can take like two examples of themes and one of bears themes and how you maybe tackled orchestrating it. I would love to maybe start with like Sauron's evil theme and Ooh, how yeah. you, and what, what, what kind of did you approach it and what was the, the orchestration for that? So, um, go for it, Henry. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so within that kind of Sauron's theme, um, we have kind of in the larger uh, scheme, we have kind of the orcs, you know, the, the black music, black speech music. Um, so, and within that, um, there's a lot of choral, you know, a lot of guttural singing um, with uh, male voices. And one of the things we did during the choir sessions that definitely brings a sense of evil um, is we were experimenting with kind of raspy, uh, almost whispery, undertones that we added as a layer on top of the regular singing. So when they're, when the, you know, when the males are singing, oh, do, 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 whatever, you know, they're singing black speech uh, yeah. or, or, you know, when they're doing, a, you know, non-pot, you know, that they would actually do a layer of just like really kind of scary whispery, sort of like, ah, pot, you know, that kind yeah, of stuff. Really growling then, it. Really growling, ah, you know, and then so adding that like as a subtle color, um, just like brings a level of, uh, I guess, almost psychological terror. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Into which we into were actually, which we were orchestrating in, uh, right before those, yeah, before things happened. So, like, kind of right. going in with that vocal plan. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead, so, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so that's one thing that comes into mind. You know, bringing out the evil of Sauron and bringing out the evil, evil of Morgoth and the and the orcs. <clears throat> yeah, and it's also cool the the sort of connective tissue between that. It's kind of like a, a basket of Sauron adjacent themes, like Henry was talking about, and they're and they're. Um, they're connected in in special ways and some of them mm. quite subtle um and it's it's nice to see some of how that even revealed itself over the first season and then you know bear has also set a lot of kind of uh stepping stones in place for further development in future seasons of music absolutely well, let's, to go. let's jump to the other end of the spectrum and talk about galadriel's theme how did you shape uh, and and make that you know what it was <laughs> I mean, that is a beautiful, beautiful theme, isn't it? Yeah. I, Bear, um, 
obviously that that's a theme that's introduced quite early because over the first few episodes you're still meeting characters and so the right. themes are sort of coming in and um just his his elvish writing in general uh the themes that are surrounding the elves are are so noble and beautiful um but one thing in particular of galadriel's theme that number one just from from a a compositional perspective i love that he starts that theme with this sort of aching minor seventh up da, 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 da. and that it it um there's a there's a, a nobility in it but there's also like a a little bit of a a yearning that comes yeah. out right from that very first um that very first interval and there are there are dramatically appropriate reasons for why that applies to that character in this in this show and it's um, also dis distinguishable uh from other themes because i know that barris talked about how all of his themes start with a different interval right um so that's a, that's another point like you immediately from the first two notes you know okay this is you know galadriel mm. you could, you could yeah. be recognizing a given theme yeah right. and yeah. i think that with um from an orchestration perspective from an arranging perspective which you know is coming from bear that we're then guiding and implementing um it's beautiful to see how wide of a scope that yearning sort of open and noble theme uh, can exist on. So you have yeah. times in the show where we're bringing like all the horns, all the bones, full brass, everybody is like just power, yeah. uh, sort of um, uh, kind of, you know, epic in scope. And then I, uh, it can it can also be almost heartbreaking when done in sort of close voicings in the strings and and just be incredibly lush and beautiful and sad at the same time um the the moment that that henry actually alluded to earlier that i love are the the times when uh, there's i think it's in the second episode and then again in the in the eighth episode of the season there are moments where galadriel is underwater and it's at that, it's at those moments that Bear uh, suggested, you know, we need to do is a, or instructed, we we should do a solo voice here mm. and have Galadriel's theme just represented by a single voice. We had some discussions about whether it should maybe be a child or whether it should be a, a sort of coloratura soprano, <clears throat> a more dramatic soprano, those types of things. Um, and when we first recorded that which was in the in the the early sessions for the first couple of episodes we actually experimented with a cool different uh, with with a, a few different cool soprano vocalists um pulled from the choir who stayed late and there were the numerous numerous people sort of giving it a try as we sort of found the right really pure sound color and tone and it, yeah yeah mm -hmm. and it was it was really nice to see their camaraderie as well as as they were sort of exploring this theme together and we're just really pleased with where that ended up dramatically yeah i mean the end result is um, stunning i mean for everything but <laughs> but thank you so much for breaking those down uh for me that's that's so interesting and i'm curious also i'm curious because you were talking about all the different world instruments you guys are using and trying to bring you know make it feel rich with culture and all these things or are there any kind of favorite instruments of yours like unique really instruments that you guys got to play with that you really just kind of are like having a blast with is there anything that jumps to mind 
Well, the the choice of instrumentation on the world instruments that definitely came from Bear. I don't sure. recall yeah. a time when we were when I don't think so. when we switched something. Um, you know, yeah, that's definitely Bear, yeah. Do, do something different, but yeah, sorry, yeah, I feel like that definitely right. happened more. No, no, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I I think that's true, and I think that the choice of instrumentation maybe. You know, maybe we had some input during the orchestral sessions. You know, occasionally we might be like, oh, oh, this, you know, oboe in this register might be better served with an English horn or, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, so we would run that by bear. We're like, hey, what do you think? And it was like, oh, that's yeah, a great brass, idea. Brass mute colors, for example. Right. Yeah. And so, so I feel like we, as far as, you know, our work goes, we definitely had more, I guess, creative input um, with the orchestral instrument colors rather than the uh, world instrument colors. Oh, okay. That said, I mean the world the world instrument sort of tapestry is vast. I I I know that if I had to choose a favorite, I'd probably it's it's the music for the Harfoots and sort of mm. how how Bear approached that. Um it's you know it's quite delightful and you know one wonderful to work with. We we weren't doing any any changing of what Bear's ideas were there, but it it was it was really nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not not just about the. I mean, just, I'm curious, like, yeah, even if it was, you know, of course, Bear is selecting these, but I'm curious as an orchestra, it must have been fun. Yeah, if there's any any instruments that was just fun to to work with. Yeah, <laughs> so. I think I think the treat for, from this project was just that we basically had the entire palette at our disposal. <laughs> whatever yeah. whatever we needed creatively, it was there, and so. Um, so that's that is so rare um, for us to be in that position where it's just like, oh, great, we have the whole palette at our disposal, and, uh, and that's great. Absolutely. And over the course of all the episodes, was there like maybe like a a set piece or a scene or a moment that you remember that was just that was fun to dig into and just like get to work on, or was there? I mean, for, yeah. I mean, I guess me, maybe if you didn't have the picture yeah. of the stuff, <laughs> but. That's, I mean, the, that's the but, thing. Yeah. On the other <laughs> but, hand, that yeah. means that what we're really experiencing is is musical, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like it's true. Even at the at the point that we were working, we're still imagining how this is going to look. Right. And, yeah. And to some degree, since the effects were still in process as well, you know, there, there's imagination at all all levels still going yeah. on that that finally comes together when you see the final project. Yeah. And like yeah, like Jonathan was saying, like for me, I mean, it just like from the first moments of the opening of the first episode. And, you know, like, I knew how good the music was and how well it worked when, you know, you have that first choral kind of opening. And then when you get that shot of the, you know, twin, tree, twin trees of the Valinor and, yeah. and just like it builds into this, you know, from that choral subtle stuff, it builds into this huge orchestral stuff. And you really sense these different layers of like subtle and how big it can be. And just like the, I guess the dynamic, uh, you know, spectrum, spectrum of it all was like, oh, wow, this is, this is not your typical TV show. <laughs> this is definitely like, you know, a film. It's it's like every episode was, was its own I mean, it was film. Like back to back yeah, films. Film. I mean, yeah. 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 <clears throat> and it's a testament to how the show is mixed and the, the, um, the, the respect and appreciation and love that the show's producers have for the music. Yeah. That you can hear that both dynamic range from from mm -hmm. loud to soft, but also the ensemble range from incredibly vast to incredibly intimate. Mm -hmm. uh, you can really actually hear that in the show because of how it's mixed. It's not all buried. Um, right. an, another one that comes to mind for me is the end of the sort of establishing 
in, in uh, Numenor when, uh, is it the end of episode four? But where, wherever it is, where, where, where the ship, the ships, yeah, the ships are, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, yeah. it just blossoms into the, you know, oh, yeah. the most Malarian, huge, mm-hmm. just amazingly uh, glorious orchestral amazing. sound. And, Chills. you know, there are times <laughs> when we have to work hard to do small balances. Yeah. Very, very careful. And are these wind textures going to be felt but not heard? And, mm. you know, those things that we're thinking about. And then there are those moments where it is just going to be vast <laughs> and grand and bombastic and glorious. Uh, so, you know, that is definitely one of those spots. Yeah, sure. oh, absolutely. Well, guys, I mean, congratulations again on this amazing accomplishment. I mean, it, it also, I mean, just to hear your side of it and the, the stuff that you work on uh, with Vera's music and being part of this gigantic team that brought this entire vision to life over the course of, you know, years coming to, you know, to, to the journey to screen. You know, I have it on my 65 inch OLED with my Dolby Atmos system. So it's just <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> you know, not, not listening on these things here. Right. But, <laughs> so it sounds fantastic. You guys did such an amazing job. And uh, thank, thank you. you so much for taking the time today to, to share your process. And uh, I know Ed couldn't be here with us uh, today because of schedule, but yeah, thanks so much uh, for, for being, you know, part of the, the team to come and talk about it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, Kyle. Thank you so much.